Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. It is easy to get so consumed with the tensions that we face in life that we miss what's most important. So Pastor Steve, many of you are aware, was off. uh, He was on sabbatical for, for three months. And when he came back, he shared with the staff, this the highlights of his time away. And he said something that, that really struck me. He talked about the fact that his, his family had planned a trip to an amusement park, I think it was a water park, and so they had this on the schedule. And as the time got closer, he was really questioning whether they should really do that or not because he was just under a lot of stress. Uh, some of you are aware that he is, he's looking for new housing because his lease is, is up this year. So that's heavy on his mind. He was just thinking about finances and all sorts of things. And he was just like, yeah, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe we, sh- we shouldn't be taking a day to, to go. And they pressed through and went. And then what he shared just struck me so much because he said, I'm so glad that we went because he said, I made memories with my boys that I, I would not, want to have missed. Like, I can't recapture that. And it it made me think, like, sometimes our tensions in life just override us so much that we just let them get the the best of us. And the question is, how do we keep our tensions in check? So you're you're probably dealing with some tension right now. If I could have a conversation with you across the, the table, there's probably something that comes to mind that you're thinking, yeah, this is... This is a tough thing I'm facing. Maybe a worry about the future, maybe a relational conflict that you're in. It may be a theological tension. And so we've, we've had, like, this in the last several months, we have had a lot of you as in our church family lose loved ones. And one of the questions that I've gotten more than once is, what, what is the eternal destiny of my loved one? Like, how do I know where they are, are they with the Lord? That, that's a, a tough question to wrestle with, very close to our hearts. It is important to wrestle with these things in life. Like, we don't wanna deny these things, we don't wanna skip over them, we don't wanna avoid them, but if we're, if we're constantly in tension and there is never a break from the tension, that can really kind of twist us out of shape and it can keep us from what's most important in life. We are coming to the end of a section in the book of Romans that contains the most tension in the whole letter. And as we get to this end, we're gonna see Paul model for us a practice that helps us keep our tensions in check, that is useful whether we're dealing with a theological tension or any of the other kind of stresses that we deal with in life. We're gonna see it in Romans 11. If you would turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's one near you on the seat, and Romans 11 is on page 1049. It's really helpful if you can follow along with what we are looking at and reading here this morning. I'm just gonna give you an honest confession this morning that 
I'm really glad to come to the end of season three of Romans. This is the toughest part of of the book. And uh, Jeremy mentioned last week that that we're committed as a church to, like we're we're gonna teach through the Bible and we're not gonna skip over anything, although that was kind of tempting. But um, I I just wanna encourage you that in your own personal reading, that you don't cherry pick and skip over sections too. There are gonna be times where you're reading it and you're like, wow, I don't get this at all. Or, you know, I, I don't like this. I mean, there are gonna be times like that, but we, we need to constantly be having our thinking re, reframed, rewired to think the way God thinks. We're gonna talk much more about that next week as we go into season four. We go into chapter 12 of Romans, so I'm really excited about that. But we're finishing up chapter, or section three here this morning. As we began in chapter nine of Romans, I introduced a floaty to you that helps us when we get into the deep end of scripture and like it's, it's hard to resolve things. And, and here was the floaty when we're, when we're in tension. Trusting God is our stability in unresolvable tension. We're gonna encounter tensions at times in scripture that aren't fully resolved. We're certainly gonna encounter tensions in our lives that aren't fully resolved. Trusting God in the midst of that is is our stability. So today we're gonna summarize the tension from chapters nine to 11, and then we're gonna see the perfect way to keep our tension in check. For those of you who like outlines, You're gonna love today's message because I've got three main points for you. And then the third point has three sub-points and each of them has to do with three things as well. So you're just gonna geek out on that. You guys who like that, the rest of you just follow along and it'll, it'll be okay. Here's the three main points. We're gonna see a summary of the current blessing for Gentiles, for non Jewish people. We're gonna see a prediction of future blessing for the Jewish people. And then we're gonna end with a doxology of blessing for God. And if you don't know what a doxology is, I'll explain that when we get to it. And then we're gonna blow out those other points when we get there. All right, first, let's talk about a current blessing for the Gentiles, that's in verse 25 of Romans 11. Lest you be wise in your own sight, Paul says, and he's writing, he's, he's right now addressing Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That sentence right there summarizes everything we've been talking about in chapters nine through 11. God sovereignly elected the people of Israel to be a a nation that he related to uniquely. He made covenant promises to them. He expected certain behavior in, in return. And so God established this relationship uniquely with Israel, but what we find is that not all of the Israelites, not all of the Jewish people believed. Not all of them responded in faith. And so within that nation of Israel, God sovereignly elected a remnant of people who would believe in Christ as their Messiah. They would believe that he was the predicted Messiah to come. The majority, the majority of the Jewish people throughout history have have not pursued being right with God by faith in Christ. And so there's this tension 
there, huge tension, that it, it appears that God has predetermined that there would be only a remnant, there'd only be a small number of Jewish people who would believe while most of them are hardened. So the question is, uh, did they make that choice to believe or not? And where does God's responsibility end and individual an individual person's responsibility begin? I mean, that, that's a huge tension that Paul raises in these chapters and he doesn't fully resolve. He doesn't fully clarify that for us. And so what we, what we find is, I'm gonna remind you of a quote from one of the, the commentators that I've been reading, and I think he captures this really well, Douglas Moo. He says, Paul is content to hold the truths of God's absolute sovereignty and a full human responsibility without reconciling them. We would do well to emulate his approach. So sometimes we feel like we've, we've got to figure it all out and we've got to explain why God did this and it doesn't seem fair and, and all of that. And, and Mu ends up concluding like, God, Paul doesn't clear it all up for us. So we don't need to figure, uh, we don't need to feel like we have to resolve it as well. So here is what is clear. Here's what Paul does make clear, that God is using this season where most of the Jewish people are not following Christ by faith in order to bring more Gentiles, more non-Jewish people into faith and to respond to the gospel. And so we, because most of us in the room are, are Gentiles, are of non-Jewish descent, we are being richly blessed because of this master plan that God is working out. But Paul warns us, warns Gentiles, do not get proud. And that was a huge theme of last week because the, the hardening of Israel is partial and it is temporary. And that leads us to our, our second point, which is that there's a future blessing for the Jews. Let's read in verse 26. In this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So Paul is here quoting the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, to show that God will ultimately eradicate all sin from the people of Israel. He will bring all of Israel into to faith, which is, is the opposite of what he's been saying. And he's, it's the opposite of what he's been describing as the current situation for which he also uses Old Testament Hebrew scriptures to say that there will be many, many Jewish people whose eyes are not seeing, whose ears are not hearing. He says all of that is going to turn around radically. And so it's different than what he's been saying, but it's entirely consistent with what God has predicted and with his purposes. We see that in verse 28. As regards the gospel, they, the Jewish people, are enemies for your sake. They are enemies of the gospel. They're not um, grasping it, they're not embracing it for the most part. But as regards election, they are beloved. They are still beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
God is not giving up on his promises and his purpose to use the people of Israel. That's how Paul started this whole segment, uh, this whole section, this whole season of Romans back in chapter nine, verse six. He says, it is not as though the word of God has failed. And so the whole way through here, he's making the case for how God is still at work. Now, I just wanna pause here and I wanna highlight just the practical significance of what Paul is, is doing here. Imagine with me for, for a moment, um, first century Rome, and there is a gathering of believers in someone's home, because they wouldn't have gathered in a, in a building like this. They would have gathered in someone's home. Out of that gathering of believers, there would be a few Jewish people, a few Jewish believers there, but most of them would have been Gentiles, would have been non-Jewish people. Within that gathering, there's gonna be an inherent kind of tension, just always ready to boil to the surface. Because the Jewish people are thinking, we're favored, we're special. I mean, God chose us, and now we see that our Messiah has come, we're, we're completed, we're complete now because we see Jesus is our Messiah. So they kind of might think, yeah, you know, we're, we're doing pretty well here, and, and we got a reason to, to kind of think we're a little, we're, we're, we're pretty great stuff. Meanwhile, the Gentiles are looking over at them and saying, well, yeah, that's true, but most of your people have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and now God has let us in. And look, there's more of us than there are of you. And so there's like this inherent tension, and Paul is speaking into that with this whole letter, actually. Every time he's talking about the Jewish law and, and all of this tension here between the Jews and the Gentiles, he's speaking into that very real tension that exists between these real people who are gathering to, to worship and to follow Jesus. And Paul is speaking to that, encouraging a mutual respect and a, a unity and an understanding. And he's saying there is no room for pride on anybody's part. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no room for any pride. That's what he gets at as, he, as we read on here in verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, so he's, again, he's talking to Gentiles, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, the Jewish people, so now, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now have mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, all Jews and Gentiles, that he may have mercy on all. Jews and Gentiles. Let's talk for just a moment about the word consigned here because that's not a word that we use often in this kind of context. It really means to be imprisoned or to be bound up. So we could say God has imprisoned everyone to disobedience, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, so that he may have mercy on all. We could ask the question, is this referring to predestination here? Did God predestine everyone to be disobedient? Or, and I think this is more likely, is this referring to God imprisoning people because of their disobedience to be disobedient? Some of you will remember all the way back to Romans chapter one, there's, there's cycles of Paul describing the depravity of human beings, and three times he says God gave them over. He gave them over. 
He gave them over to sin. He, basically, God's posture was, if you're not gonna buy into me, if you're not gonna be obedient, if you're not gonna follow me, fine. Do, do it your way, but here is what it leads to. And it leads to this downward spiral that we see so much evidence of in our world, just more and more sin. And God gave them over to sin as a judgment for their sin, for not repenting from their sin. I think that might be what this is getting at here when he says, God, verse 32, God has consigned, he's imprisoned all to disobedience with the, the goal that he might have mercy on all. We know from the context of Romans that this doesn't mean God has mercy on every person without distinction, because, without exception, because every person doesn't embrace the gift that God offers to them. But what it means is that God offers his mercy to everyone without distinction. Whatever your ethnicity is, whatever your background is, the call is to you, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, so that's a summary. That's a summary of all the tension that we've seen in chapters nine to 11. Now, Paul is going to abruptly change his tone and his content, and he's gonna go into this doxology of blessing for God. Before we do that, before we get to that, I wanna just recap again just the, the tension that we've seen because we need to feel that so that we feel the relief of where we're moving into. So we'll just capture this, we'll go through this really quickly, but a couple of points of tension here, more than a couple, several points of tension here. Uh, first of all, Israel is favored historically, um, but the Gentiles are being favored right now. So that's a point of, of tension. Israel are enemies of the gospel, they're not embracing it, but still Israel is beloved by, by God. The Gentiles are being shown mercy, but be careful, don't, don't get proud. Today, most of Israel is hardened. One day, all will come in. That is a mystery and a tension. In general, people are disobedient, but God is in general and always faithful to his promises. And finally, all are consigned to disobedience but God has mercy on all. Now, in verse 33, Paul is gonna shift gears and now he models for us how to keep tension in check. Okay, so let's read in verse 33. And I wanna do this. Uh, why don't we, most of you are, are reading along with me. Let's read this together, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given to him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. Here's what Paul is modeling for us. Close your wrestling with worship. Close your wrestling with worship. Paul could keep on wrestling here because he doesn't resolve it. He doesn't come to clear conclusions. He could keep wrestling, and a lot of people have kept wrestling with this issue over, over the millennia. But Paul knows that there is a time to call our wrestling to a close. 
kind of put a, a pause on it. And what he does then, because, because tension without relief can pull us out of shape and it can cause us to miss what is most important. And so Paul is returning to what is most important with this doxology of blessing for God. Let's talk for a moment about the word doxology, okay? It's not, not a word that we typically use, but it is, is directly from the Greek. So the last part of that word is logos, from the word logos, which means word or words. And the first part is uh, from doxe, which means glory. So it's words about glory is what a doxology is. You're familiar with the word biology, okay? So biology is words about life because bio means life, okay? So doxology is words about glory. Now, for this third point, there are three sub points and then each of those has three parts to it too. And, and I, we're, we're gonna go through these and, be, and we're gonna pull it apart a little bit, but I just wanna remind us of the danger of dissection. Okay, I've said this before. If you have a cat, you may say, like, I love my cat so much. I just wanna know my cat better. And so you dissect your cat, and then you know more about your cat than you did when you started, but your cat is dead. And so there's a danger of that, and I feel this especially every time like we're looking at a psalm or we're looking at a beautiful narrative in scripture because some of these, I mean, so much is crafted so beautifully. And sometimes we, we dissect it and we rip it apart into these little pieces and then we just miss the beauty of it. So I'm very aware of that and I'm probably not gonna be successful in helping us capture the beauty, but we, I do want us to look into some of the details of this because it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Here's the, here are the three subpoints for point number three. There are three declarations here, three questions, and three prepositions. Okay, all of them are pointing to the unsurpassed, preeminent, perfection, superlativeness of God. I don't know if, I don't think superlativeness is actually a word, but we need words that, uh, that are beyond us. So first, there are three declarations about God in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his Ways. Paul is here, he's trying to inspire awe in us, like we feel when we see it, like a natural wonder that is really awesome. So if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, or you've stood on the edge of that, and it's just like, it's just breathtaking. Um, if you've ever been in Niagara Falls, you've ever stood at the foot of a mountain in the, the Alps, or you just, I mean, it just blows us away and we're like, this is incredible and amazing. That's what Paul is trying to capture here on a supernatural level. And so some of you will remember back to Romans chapter one, Paul says that creation points us to the fact that there's a creator. We learn things about God from looking at his creation. So I wanna, I wanna apply that here on these phrases to try to help us grasp a little bit of the amazingness of God. So first, the first phrase here is the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. The riches and wisdom and knowledge of God are deep. 
So what, what do we have in creation that is deep and that points us to, wow, this is like beyond us? Well, the, the ocean. I, I looked up this week and the national, the NOAA, National Oceanographic, um, whatever they, they are, uh, the people that study the ocean, they say that we have only explored 5% of our oceans. So that means 95% of our oceans have been unexplored. 99% of the ocean floor is unexplored. And so why is that? Because it's expensive and it's very dangerous. I mean, that, that was demonstrated recently for us with the submersible that, that was destroyed going down to look at the Titanic. This is dangerous business. And so, so we only know a fraction of, of what the ocean even holds. And so Paul says here, when we look at the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, we can assume that we have barely just scratched the surface to, to, to have any idea of God's wisdom and knowledge. It is that deep. The second phrase is that he says, his judgments are unsearchable. So we can go from the sea to the stars and talk about unsearchability. So we live in the Milky Way galaxy. The next closest significant galaxy is the Andromeda galaxy. So to get to the Andromeda galaxy would take two and a half million light years. Okay, so that means if we could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. I got fact-checked and corrected on this in the first service. I said it was 186,000 miles per hour, which is another instance of why it's good that I did not go into engineering. <laughs> the, the world is a safer place. So anyway, um, if we could travel at that speed, then that would still take us two and a half million years traveling at that speed. We can't travel anywhere near that speed. So to give you an idea of how long it would take us at our current ability to travel, the fastest plane that has been developed is the X-15, which is not obviously used by any airlines, and it's not even used by the military. It's de it was developed by NASA. It travels at over 4,000 miles per hour. For that plane to get to the Andromeda galaxy would take 370,000 million years. Okay, so that's just the next galaxy. It's estimated that there are 200 billion galaxies. Okay, God created all of that, He's named all of those stars. And so when we read how unsearchable are his judgments, we can just think how unsearchable are the galaxies to us. It's impossible for us to, to think. So we can rest in saying, you know what, I'm never gonna be able to search out all of God's judgments any more than I could search out the galaxies. The third phrase here is how inscrutable his ways. We, we don't typically use the word inscrutable, it just means incomprehensible. How incomprehensible are his ways to us? We, we've been wrestling for the last couple of, last several weeks here, last couple of months with these theological tensions in 
Romans 9 to 11. A lot of other people have wrestled with them over a long time. So I asked a friend from Cairn if he would go to the Cairn University Library and take pictures of books that are on this topic. So sovereignty, free will, predestination. So this is a sampling. Uh, We have two pictures here. Uh, I mean, this is just a sampling of what Cairn owns, and I'm sure that Cairn probably doesn't own every book that was ever published on this topic, but it just gives you a little sense of how much people have wrestled with and really how incomprehensible God's ways are just on these these points. You take all three of these together, and, and it really puts us in our place, doesn't it? I mean, our our response should be humble all to say, God, you are you are so amazing. I, I I'm just at the end of the day, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna have to trust you because I'm never gonna be able to wrap my head all the way around it. We should be like Augustine and be faith seeking understanding, but at the end of the day, it's gonna have to be faith because God is so much bigger than us. The three, those three declarations are followed by three questions. So three rhetorical questions that contrast our human limitations in verses 34 and 35. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Paul is here quoting Isaiah in verse 34 and Job in verse 35 to to make the point that God doesn't need our advice. God never needs to consult with us when he's trying to figure out how to to do something. Um, And God is no one's debtor. I think it's really interesting that he quotes Job here on verse 35. Those of you who are familiar with Job's situation, I'm actually reading through that right now. If if you're doing the one-year Bible reading, you're in Job right now, and it's really heavy because you're you're looking at this man who has really, I mean, he's really lived a pretty good life, like honoring God. He's really seeking God, and yet yet everything is taken away from him, and he he is really wrestling. Uh, he, He responds in faith, but he's wrestling with this, and at the end of the book, we would expect, I would expect, I was hoping for God to come in and comfort him and just say, Job, you know, I'm so sorry all this happened to you and you didn't deserve it and all this, but God doesn't. God, instead of comforting, he confronts. And he comes in and he says, Job, who are you to question me? And one of the things he says here is, who has given a gift to me that I have to repay him? Everything comes from me. I mean, and, and so that is a humbling, another reminder for all of us as we go through the tensions of our lives that, that God still, God says, I'm, I'm the one in charge here and I don't owe you anything. I am not in debt to you. Three declarations, three questions, and then he ends with three prepositions in verse 36. Keith mentioned this in his prayer. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Those little prepositions are tiny little words, but they pack huge meaning. Paul is saying here that God is the source of all things. Everything is from him. He is the sustainer of all things. Everything is through him. 
and he is the ultimate purpose of, of everything. Everything is to him. I, someone came up to me after first service and shared this, and I thought, this is, this is worth adding. So you're getting a bonus here that the first service uh, did, did not get. But if we could kind of picture this this way. If we look at God as a dot here, we could say that everything is from him, through him, and to him. That's a way to kind of picture the infinitude of God. I don't know if you, I'm like a first grade teacher here. Let me show this around. Um, these, these, there's so much packed into those words that I would just really encourage you, whatever you may be wrestling with right now, whatever tension you're experiencing, just to sit with that phrase and just, just let it run around in your mind and just let it expand your picture, your view of who God is. He ends with, to him be the glory forever. This is a doxology, words about glory. So Paul, Paul is not afraid to wrestle with things. I mean, he, he's been wrestling with some of the hardest questions that anybody's ever dealt with. And so he's not shrinking back from that. He's not skipping over it. He's not avoiding it, not taking the easy way out. But even Paul knows there is a time to set the wrestling aside. And so we close our wrestling with worship. So whatever it is, whatever it is for you right, right now, that you are in tension about, that you're wrestling with, wrestle with it. Okay, don't, don't deny it, don't, don't skip it, and, and wrestle with it in prayer. Wrestle with it by, by looking at what God's word has to say about your situation. Wrestle with it by getting counsel from, from other godly people. Wrestle, but know that it's important to keep your wrestling in check, and we do that by stopping to say, I'm gonna turn my eyes to the Lord, I'm gonna fix my eyes on him. There's, there's an old hymn that says that the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna worship. We're gonna do a little bit longer uh, worship set here to end so we get a chance to practice pausing our wrestling and entering into worship. Father, um, we are in awe of your bigness, <laughs> and, and we confess that it's too infrequent that we pause. It's just so easy for us to be absorbed in the tensions of our world, of our personal lives, of our relationships. It's just so easy to be tied up in those things and not turn our eyes to you. And yet even your creation speaks to your power, your awesomeness, how infinitely greater you are than we are. So Lord, confess, uh, we, we confess to you that um, we, we want to understand and sometimes we demand explanations from you, but Lord, you, you don't owe us anything. Thank you that you have given to us far, far more than we could ever deserve in the sacrifice of Christ. So may we rest in that May we continue to pursue understanding from you, but at the end of the day, to, to rest and to close that wrestling 
with worship. May we do that even in these moments now. In Jesus' name, amen.